Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim shares with us a message today, a prayer of blessing, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Sometimes we begin church service with prayer, and sometimes we close a church service with prayer. Often, we do both. But in the second book that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, right in the very center, the very middle, Paul inserts a prayer. It is a prayer of blessing. He reminds the church of how God has blessed them in the past, and he asks God to bless them in the future. This is our prayer for you, our faithful listeners. Here's Pastor Tim. I invite you to take your Bible and turn tonight to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This morning, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Tonight, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. In fact, I, um, I'd like for you to go all the way down to the last two verses of this chapter. As we talk about prayer, prayer is essential in the Christian life, and it's essential to the life of the church. There are a number of times where we try to do things without going to the Lord in prayer, without trying to discover what His will is, without trying to seek His blessings on, all, on any and all matters. But the reality is, is that we're not able to do anything outside of His power. The Bible says, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing of eternal significance. Anything that is of real consequence cannot be effective without the power of the Spirit of God. The problem with churches going through the motions is that the church is made up of individuals. and We have learned to go through the motions. We've learned how to go to church and to go through the service itself and, and hit every highlight that we're supposed to, to check all of our boxes and make sure that we've done the right thing and expect that God simply blesses that. It's not performance that God is after. Whether it's in your prayer life, whether it's in witnessing, whether it's in giving, whether it's in serving, whether it's in teaching, no matter what area you try to serve the Lord in, you need Him. No matter how many times you've done it in the past, or if this is you for the very first time thinking outside the box, you need Him and need His power. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for one another that we are on purpose. We need to pray for one another that we are effective in what we do. We need simply to pray for one another. <laughs> Life is hard. There are difficulties. There are decisions that are difficult. There are temptations that are difficult. And somehow, every individual person has to learn how to navigate through those very difficult times of life. How do you do that without the wisdom and the power of God? Sometimes when we pray for one another, we're really not sure what we should pray for. You ever been there? Somebody's asked you to pray for them and you really don't know what's going on in their life. I assume God knows what's going on in their life. 
and can simply pray for them and he'll either give me specific direction as I pray or he can fix it when I give it to him. You know what I mean? The Bible says that his spirit translates those things to the Father. I just simply need to come to him. One of the things that I know that every person needs and that I know that God wants to give is what you just saw in your video. is peace. I don't know one home that couldn't stand a little more peace. I don't know any relationship that couldn't handle a little more peace. I don't know one person's life in the solitude of any moment that they couldn't handle a little more peace. And so sometimes to pray for one another is simply to pray God's blessing over them. To pray God's peace over them. We come to the end of chapter number 2. It's as if Paul just takes a break. I mean, he just, he just sort of takes a break from what he's talking about. He, he's, he's been talking about earlier in the book and earlier in this chapter about the second coming of Christ. You know, both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians deal greatly with the second coming. Somebody had found their way into this church and had taught them things that simply weren't true. And so Paul writes these letters to, to inform them of what genuinely is true concerning the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. He's talking about that earlier in this chapter. He's going to talk about that in the third chapter. But he gets to this final paragraph And as he's saying to them, the coming of the Lord is not something to be fearful of. It's not a doctrine that's supposed to inspire fear. It's a doctrine that is to bring comfort. It's a doctrine that is to bring encouragement and exhortation to us. And so in the middle of saying to them, this is for your benefit. He just breaks out in prayer. Right there in the last two verses. It is simply a prayer. Notice how he begins in verse number 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father. Then he's going to go on with the rest of his prayer. He's asking that God do something. May He. Prayer is not a time for me to come and make my demands. We may have literal lists that you keep. I hope that you do. I I, I depend on a list far better than I depend upon my own memory. Especially when somebody says, will you pray for me? I better write that thing down. I might not be able to read it later, but I better write it down so I can remember to do something for them. Make that prayer list. But I'm asking God, to do things. I'm not coming to him with a list and saying, God, these are my demands. I'm not even coming to God as if he is some kind of Santa Claus and I'm on his knee and I'm asking him to give me, give me, give me. Instead, I come to him wanting to know what his will is. What is his will for my life? What is his will for the people that I'm praying for? What is His will for our church? I want to know those things. Why do I want to know them? Because that's the way that I need to pray. 
What good is it for me to, to spend hours even in prayer and totally miss the will of God? What if, what if I began to pray that, that, that this couple that's having trouble, that they would be able to divorce and it would be easy for them? That's, that's not the way I should pray. What about this, what about this person who has is, who is given themselves over to alcohol and they have become dependent upon that? Should I spend minutes and hours praying that they would begin to drink in moderation? No, I want to know what is God's will that I might pray effectively for them? One minute praying inside the will of God is worth hours praying outside the will of God. God can do more in a moment than you can force Him to do in a lifetime. So I'm praying, I want to know, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself do this. Not only is it a prayer where I'm asking, but notice whom I'm asking. I'm asking the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father. You know, Paul, in both of these letters, uh, back in chapter number 3, I think it's verse number 11, he pairs them up, the Father and the Son, in the same way that he does in this verse. Just showing equality between the Father and the Son, that Jesus really is God. Why is that important? Because it means that he can answer. The same one who spoke the worlds into existence. That's who I'm asking now to come to my aid. The one who is the Prince of Peace. He's the one that I'm asking to allow peace to reign in the families and in the lives of these people that I'm praying for. I want it to be Jesus himself who does this. I want it to be from God our Father. I don't want to do anything else that might manipulate Him or that might try to seem as if I'm trying simply to get my, my way, my will done. I want Him to do it. And I want Him to do it in such a way that nobody else can claim credit. That He and He alone gets glory for what He does. That nobody would be able to say in answer to those prayers, boy, that person sure was lucky. Right? Or, Things just seem to work out sometimes, don't they? Boy, I'm glad so-and-so came to the rescue. I believe God likes to work in such a way that no one else receives glory except for Him. And that's how this verse begins. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, what follows in verse number 16 is the first part of your notes if you're taking notes tonight. Because there are two things I want to tell you tonight. What God has done for us in the past, what God will do for us in the future. 
The past is where Paul begins his prayer. Oftentimes it's where you begin your prayers. God, you have done this, this, and this for me. Now I'm asking you to do that, that, and that for them. That's the same way that he's starting this prayer. So number one, if you're writing these down, number one, I want you to know that God has been bountiful with us in the past. God has been bountiful with us in the past. And what he does in this last part of verse number 16 is give us three things that God has done for you. Notice this word. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has, who has done these things. These are things that he's already done for you. These may be things that you want to ask him to continue to do. This may be something that you want him to do afresh. But here are three things that God has already done for you, and He has done for you in abundance. The nice thing about the Greek language is, sometimes the grammar gives us clues that we don't really get simply in English. The tense of the verbs that He will use in the remainder of verse number 16 or in a tense that tells me that this is something that has happened at a point in the past, but that continues on with its effectiveness both to today and on into the future. So these are things that He has already done for you, but they are things that you are already currently enjoying still. Let me give them to you. There are three. Number one, He has given you unconditional concern. He has given you unconditional concern. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us. He has loved us. He has loved you. Already He has demonstrated His love to you. The word for love that He gives there is the word that you would expect to be there. It's the word agape. He has loved you unconditionally. He has loved you with no strings attached. It's the kind of love that goes with Romans 5, 8. Where he says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. God's love for you is not based on what you have done. It's not as a sinner that you have come to him and said, I'm sorry. And he said, well, okay, then I'll die for you. He he didn't wait for you to say, I'm sorry. He didn't wait for you to get your act together. He didn't wait for you to do one thing. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that word says that he demonstrates his love toward us. Every day, there's a reminder to you that God loves you. And every day that reminders to point you back towards the cross. Let me tell you this. I mentioned this the other day at the funeral. I think it's, I think it is so incredible and profound of a truth. 
God doesn't love you because you're valuable. You're valuable because God loves you. That's what makes you special. That's what makes you worthwhile. It is His unconditional concern, His unconditional love for you that He's demonstrated on the cross. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, who number one, has loved us, and number two, has given us everlasting consolation. I would say it this way for your notes. Not only has He given you unconditional concern, He has given you unlimited comfort. He's given you unlimited comfort, everlasting consolation. How does He do that? He does that through the person of His Spirit. When Jesus got ready to go away and He got His disciples together and began to tell Him those things, and they are sorely disappointed... He tells them, basically, don't worry. I am sending you another helper. Or if you read from the King James Version, I am sending you another comforter or another counselor. The word that he uses for another, there are two different words in your New Testament for another. One means another of a different kind. In other words, you want to replace something. That it's with something that's brand new, the, the newest model, the sleekest, the best. You want to you you upgrade, so to speak. But the other word for another is another of the same kind. That's the word that he uses when he says, I'm sending you another helper, another comforter. In other words, I'm sending you somebody just like me. I'm sending you somebody with the same nature and the same essence as Jesus Himself. So the kind of comfort that He can bring, the kind of concern and comfort that He brings, is what you would expect from the Spirit of God. And here's even the greater part of that. If Jesus were here, physically, bodily, To give you comfort. It's still coming from the outside. When the Spirit of God gives you comfort, He's living on the inside. When you want to pray about situations that are troubling, and you don't even know what to pray about, you even know how to put the words together, You certainly don't know how to use a vocabulary that is limited to be able to describe the feelings that you have that are so deep. Who helps you with that? The Spirit of God. And He will do that then. He will do that now. And He will continue to do that for you for the rest of your life. It is unlimited comfort. There's a third thing. There's one last thing that he mentions here at the end of verse number 16. God has already given to you unconditional concern. He's already given to you unlimited comfort. And he has also given to you unbelievable confidence. Unbelievable confidence. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us 
and given us everlasting consolation, and you can say that given us, that goes in there again, and given us good hope by grace. Good hope by grace. When the Bible uses the word hope, it never uses that word in a way that we often use it. We, ought, we use it to describe potential, possibilities, maybe, I hope it doesn't rain today. I don't like for it to rain on Sundays. Baptists don't like to be sprinkled on. <laughs> so I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope, you know, so-and-so's going to be there. I hope, you know, instead of bills, I get a check in the mail tomorrow. You know, I hope. Sometimes my hopes are well-founded. Sometimes my hopes are, <laughs> they're worse than a shot in the dark. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it is a settled, absolute certainty. It's just something that hadn't happened yet. When, when the Bible talks about the hope of His coming, it's not, it's not somebody wondering, well, I hope He's going to come and get us out of this. He is coming. It's just that we're waiting on it. We're anticipating it. We may be a little anxious about it. To have the good hope by grace. It's not arrogance, but it is confidence in what God said that He would do. These gifts, and especially this last one about hope and confidence, they don't come by being optimistic. This is not something that comes because your personality is given towards the positive. It's given by God. These are gifts from Him that you should not take, take advantage of or, or be too familiar with to take for granted. God loves you. God comforts you. God strengthens you and upholds you to give you hope and confidence. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message, A Prayer of Blessing, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31. 909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.